Sharon Tate doesn't get murdered at the end. This is spoilers. This is spoilers. Ladies and gentlemen, the beat goes on. KHJ Los Angeles. 331 in Los Angeles. This is the real Don Steve. Yay. Right? What a yay. <laughs> Hello, everybody listening. This is your host, Stevie. And today, we're just going to do a quick overview of Quentin Tarantino's... What number is this? Is this 11? Nine. The ninth film from Quentin Tarantino. I guess the official ninth film, if you count the Kill Bills, is one. Um, yeah, his uh, ninth and what's supposed to be his second-to-last movie, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Uh, let's go around and introduce ourselves. And what's your favorite Quentin Tarantino movie, starting from East to West? Oh, that means me. Uh, that means you, Jordan. Shoot, Quentin Tarantino. Sorry, this is Jordan recording from Durham. Uh, didn't give me any time to think about this one. I think Django is probably my favorite. I don't necessarily think it's the best, but it's probably my favorite. Django! I almost named my dog Django. <sighs> so upset when you didn't. It was vetoed <laughs> so hard upset. by Kirsten. <laughs> Some say it still comes up. You should get a dog named Django and a dog named Rango, Jordan. Ooh. Oh, Rango's a good one. Uh, I believe I'm next. I'm Mike recording from Goshen, Indiana. And I also like Django a lot, uh, but to be different, I'll say uh, Inglorious Bastards probably my those are my one and two all right this is pappy recording from Louisville, colorado i moved recently um saw a lot of qt lists this week uh i'm getting really tired of, of people saying that like pulp fiction isn't the best it, it definitely is the best and, and a lot of hipsters out there are saying it's not but my <laughs> favorite is jackie brown uh i love that movie so much i haven't seen that in so long a very hipster's choice yeah my favorite <laughs> a very hipster's choice uh i think oh this is stevie and i think my favorite is inglorious bastards i think that's the best and my favorite one so to get into once upon a time in hollywood starring leo dicaprio brad pitt and a bunch of other actors pappy who is rick dalton and where is he in his life so it's the it's 1969 and Rick Dalton. The summer of love. Yeah, Rick Dalton was a well, that was 67. Rick Dalton is a giant uh, <laughs> uh, television star, or he was kind of in the 50s, in early 60s. Um, but now he's he's kind of barely scraping by. He's trying to get picked up on a pilot. Uh, he's obviously played by Leo DiCaprio. He's very different off screen than he is on screen. Like he's kind of an alcoholic. He <laughs> stutters. Kind of. Yeah. <laughs> he's got some issues. Yeah. He's kind of seen his better years go. And we really start off with him and Al Pacino, who's playing, I think his name was, uh, what, Maury Schwarz? Sandy Wexler. <laughs> yeah. He, Andy, yeah. Al Pacino pretty much playing Andy Wexler. And he kind of. Rick kind of has this realization that he's a has-been. It hits him really hard, which I think drives him to even more drinking. And his career is pretty symbiotic with his best friend's career, which is who, Mikey? Uh, that would be Cliff Booth. And he's a stuntman for Rick and has been for like a couple of years now. And... 
But he's really kind of turned into his, uh, what he calls his gopher. So just basically his chauffeur because Rick is an alcoholic and he's had multiple DUIs, so he can't drive anymore. <laughs> and there's a pretty funny scene of like just a quick cut of that situation, which there's a lot of flashbacks, uh, in this movie. So he, he also murdered his wife, which is an underrated yeah. plot point. Well, supposedly, <laughs> did, what'd you guys make of that? Definitely murdered her. <laughs> Again, are these real people from like back in the day or are these fake characters? Because there are some real people in this movie and I don't know if these are real people. Well, kind of reminded me of Natalie Wood, that whole tragedy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think it's like based on, uh, I've heard like Kurt Russell and his stuntman and I've heard, uh, who's the guy from Cannonball Run? Burt Reynolds. Burt Reynolds, that's what I too. read too, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So these aren't real actors no. from back in the day. Okay. No. No, but someone that is very real, Jordan, like what kind of sets up this whole movie is who just like Branley moved in next door to where Rick lives in the hills. So Roman Polanski and Sharon Tate, um, <sighs> which were not names that I knew a lot about before this. And I've had to read up a lot about the actual like historical circumstances, but yeah, they move, move in next door. And basically Rick is hoping that, he can make friends with them. And Pappy, I saw in your letterbox review that <laughs> this was like one of your favorite parts. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I literally almost fell out of my chair. There's a line where, well, first of all, let's set the stage for the audience. Roman Polanski uh, is a pretty bad dude. He had sex with a 13-year-old girl at a pool party and has been extradited from the United States and basically can't come back in because he was found guilty of, of statutory rape. But there's a line in the movie where Leonardo <laughs> DiCaprio goes, I'm one Roman Polanski pool party away from changing my career. I fucking like lost it. I, I couldn't believe they made that joke in this movie. I was like, holy shit <laughs> i don't think anybody else in my theater caught it my sold out theater by the way which was nice yours was sold out too big time yep i got really annoyed this happened like an hour and a half into my movie two people tried like walking in that obviously <laughs> didn't have tickets and just finding a seat and it was the most annoying thing in the world because they had their flashlights on oh, on their God phone fat. no it was horrendous. Jordan, in your historical research, did you find anything interesting, though, about the Manson murders and Sharon Tate and anything? Uh, I mean, it's a pretty long story. It's it's interesting, the stuff that is true that Tarantino has brought in, and a lot of it is kind of based on truth, and then there's obviously the outrageous stuff that he's like uh, sprinkled in there, too. Nothing like super of note besides like yeah. the Spawn Ranch stuff is all pretty That's accurate. All real. And huh. yeah, yeah. Um, and then like Tex is an actual per like the those people are all actual people and it's pretty close except like obviously they go and murder Sharon Tate and her friends, not Rick Dalton and his wife and friend. Yeah. Which okay, wait, can we not to jump ahead too far, Stevie, but the whole Sharon Tate thing, we can talk about her, but she's just basically like a red herring, isn't she? Like she's we see a lot of her, but there's really not much point of her even being in the movie other than a misdirect. That's what you were telling me, right, Stevie? It's a big, a yeah, big misdirect. Yeah, so I don't know if you guys felt this way or not, but for like 80% of this movie, I was just kind of like, what are we doing here? Like, <laughs> yeah, what yes, is going yes. on in this movie? <laughs> like, nothing was happening quickly. There wasn't like a whole like story set up. And then with probably the last 20 to 30 minutes, you get like this sense of dread. 
And what I was really fearful of was Quentin Tarantino is going to show Sharon take it stabbed like 20 times. Very pregnant, Margot Robbie. Very, very um, pregnant, Sharon Tate. And it's like, I don't really want to watch this. Like, this is how I thought, you know, he might end it on the three walking up the hill towards the house. And there was, yeah, Quentin did this giant misdirect where he literally flipped the whole head, like the whole film on its head. And pretty much change history. Anyone else kind of... I've seen a lot of people have a problem with it. Anybody else have a problem with it? I didn't. I didn't. I loved it. I'd, I'd prefer this more so than watching people get murdered us out of for sake of truth. Also, it's so cool, too. Brad Pitt in that situation is just... He's high as a kite because he smoked a <laughs> he's acid ass. cigarette. <laughs> so, yeah, and he's just whistling at his dog and snapping at his dog. And his dog is just taking out all of these... <laughs> so, apparently famous people murderers now in our timeline but in uh qt's timeline they're nobodies they got destroyed before even making it up to the polanski house it's kind of hilarious i was gonna say that it uh it would have been pretty gruesome to see like the sharon tate murder itself but then this movie also gets super fucking gruesome between the girl (laughs) getting burnt and like fucked up by the dog (laughs) um he he also like fucks up one of the girls on against like a a, ma- a a mantle and then like is slamming her head against the table. It's like that was messed awesome. up. It's like oh god, <laughs> yeah. It was pretty rough during a few parts in there, especially considering the whole movie up to that point is pretty low key. I mean, there's only like yeah. movie violence and it's so yeah. cheesy. Like for back in the day, it's like really played out choreography cheesy western violence and then it just flips a switch like literally as brad pitt's whistling at his dog and it's like hyper violent all of a sudden it's really Mm -hmm. crazy and like to your point stevie about the changing history i feel like every time that qt has done this like like he kills hitler right in inglorious in a movie theater yeah Mm. he kills hitler uh in django like this, the 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 slaves rise up and like, like he kicks ass, you know what I mean? So like when mm-hmm. he does it, it's like for like a like a cathartic historical like experience, you know what I mean? Like who doesn't want to see Hitler die? Like so I feel like seeing the murderers of a pregnant Sharon Tate get get burnt alive in a pool that that's pretty cool. <laughs> I like it. I thought it was awesome too, and I don't know because like I said, I like this sense of dread. My wife who's like research this researching manson stuff forever uh had a sense of dread as well and just to see it flip a switch was really really cool kind of want to get into this um (laughs) this one scene where i think rick is shooting a pilot and he's (laughs) playing like the bad guy and they like want to try to like hide his face because they don't want him to know that it's rick dalton did anyone else kind of like really appreciate how quentin like really drew you in to like they're obviously shooting a scene but also like within the movie like you really couldn't tell until leo was calling for his lines and then they would like reverse the camera <laughs> yes, and go yeah, back and yeah. do it again anyone else appreciate that yeah because oh, i feel yeah. like a, a lesser director would have had it be like in black and white or something you know what i mean to make sure the mm-hmm. audience knows that it's a movie within a movie but right he just trusts you to like get into it was anybody laughing in your theater i was cracking up but that's because i like work in tv so i know these things but <laughs> nobody was like laughing in our theater and it's like a pretty hilarious scene because 
Leo's kind of having a breakdown, and the director is like <laughs> off screen. Just come the fuck down and get back to your seat. Just like get in your uh, fucking chair. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody's laughing, and I'm cracking up because it's just so hilarious. He's having like a, he has a real episode in his trailer too, which was hilarious. <laughs> so funny, yeah, yeah. My my uh, theater was going nuts during that like whole part, especially during when he loses it when he goes back and like fucks up his entire trailer. And he's like, you're done drinking. You're done drinking. Eight whiskey sours. You couldn't stop at four. And he's like literally smash cut to him like taking a shot out of his flask. <laughs> he's like, he chucks it. No. no. Yeah. I, okay. I have a question for the general group. Is this the funniest Tarantino movie? I think it is by far. Yeah, I'd say so. It's a straight, it's almost a straight comedy. In yeah. The, in, yeah. Yeah. For most of it. Yeah. Yeah. And... I, I kind of want to bring this up too. Quentin shows a lot of feet in this film, like a lot <laughs> of feet. Do you think? Like, feet. Do you think this was kind of like yeah. a middle finger, like at his critics, saying like he's obsessed with feet? Yes. Because this movie, more than any Quentin Tarantino movie, like we said, it's like a departure from his normal, like stuff that he makes. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's it's, it's the, by far the biggest outlier in his catalog but the one trope that he does stick in there is in the feet and it's so explicit and so prevalent <laughs> it's gotta be intentional yeah he shows a lot of feet and the thing I appreciated a lot was like how derogatory he spoke of like hippies and I love <laughs> yeah. the attitude of like Rick Dalton like especially when Rick gets back from Italy and he's hammered off margaritas and he's making more margaritas. <laughs> and he looks out in the road. It's my favorite part of the whole movie. He looks out in the road and he's drinking straight from like the port, like the pitcher itself. And he goes, God damn hippies! <laughs> Dude, that's my favorite part too. He's such a degenerate and he goes out and he's screaming he at them. Get your fucking car out of here! Back the fuck up! This is a private road! Don't come back until you get a new muffler! <laughs> <laughs> goddamn property taxes god he is this is one of my favorite leo performances to be honest the oh, more that we talk far. about it. yeah yeah i mean and it's also a perfect storm too especially when it's kind of i like i like how kurt russell narrated this like these scenes but when um in so many words uh rick has to fire cliff because he has a wife that I imagine likes expensive things. And did he steal that wife from the director? I, I maybe I'm not sure. I don't know. I swear they had the last same like the same last name. Okay, wait. Speaking <laughs> Just of that, they're though, Italian? <laughs> yeah. No, they did have the same last name. I figured Oh, go ahead, Pep. Well, so Jordan, maybe you saw this. Is so was was the implication that like Sharon Tate and that other dude and Roman Polanski were in like a three-way like polyamorous relationship or something like in real life that Jay Sebring dude was she's listed as or he's described as her former lover and just friend so I think he's just Uh, like hanging out like hippie kind of stuff and Polanski is kind of in and out of her I want to say it was pretty cool that all these people were just like having sleepovers all the time. And they're like <laughs> 40 years old. And Leo and Brad Pitt are like, dude, you want to come over, have some beer and a pizza and watch my pilot or whatever? It's like kind of <laughs> awesome. <laughs> I did like how Quentin, like, um, during the FBI pilot, 
how it just like stuck on screen of FBI, but Brad Pitt was like narrating the whole thing. It was kind of like a YouTube video. Yeah. <laughs> mm. So the only thing I kind of other like other than this whole thing I wanted to bring up was kind of Jordan to your point. I thought it it was a great change of like tone. Like it was almost comedic with how hyper violent the ending was, especially when um, the girl runs out of the house screaming into Leo's pool. And when Leo runs inside, I was like, okay, he's <laughs> he's going to go look for his wife. He's going to go look for Cliff. And it made me laugh. Like, everyone in my theater lost it when he ran out with a flamethrower. Anybody else in the theater have that reaction? Yes. Oh, yeah. What is the, the trope of, like, somebody in the pool, like, listening to music on headphones with, like, chaos going on behind them? Like, wh- when does that come from, you know? No idea. But it's so funny. He's listening to, uh, like, the fucking Red Baron song. <laughs> <laughs> terrible 60s music (laughs) (laughs) oh man can i bring up another scene stevie sure what do you guys think of the bruce lee brad pitt fight scene it was so so funny that was so funny and like the way that the uh kurt russell's wife hates him so much and he just dents the shit out of her car (laughs) (laughs) and it was like this is like totally what would have happened on set of the director uh, like people actually working on the production just being like what the fuck are you fighting the talent (laughs) throwing him into a goddamn car it's like jesus christ get off the lot like there is absolutely no way but that, that whole conversation would go down the same way and that entire scene is just a flashback while Brad Pitt is fixing Rick Dalton's antenna. You know what I mean? He's just like daydreaming about that. And then when that whole scene ends, he just kind of smiles like, yeah, that was awesome. And goes back to fixing the antenna. <laughs> I love it. Well, I think it's scene. also kind of a point, too, when something against Bruce Lee, but there's always kind of that talk of like Bruce Lee was kind of like a Hollywood martial artist, not like an actual martial artist. And so, mm. like, had he got, like, in a fight with the stuntman, that's, like, something that might have actually happened is him getting his ass kicked. <laughs> and trying to get out of it by saying that his, his hands are registered weapons or whatever. I'm like, yeah. I think that's <laughs> bullshit. <laughs> Any man that kills another man is going to jail. <laughs> it's it's called, called manslaughter. <laughs> the guy that played Bruce Lee was really good though he looked just like him and so his voice was convincing too. too yeah who was that i think his name was michael mike mo mike mo mike mo yeah he was really cool and when we talk about this Peppa, kind of i'm more like more agreeing with you this actually is kind of like a full-fledged comedy yeah and it's also like it wouldn't if we picked this movie on like a regular spoilers you know what i mean to do like a full plot breakdown would just be so weird because it's like very much a day in the life. Like, there's very little story. You know what I mean? Like, the, the, there's yeah. very little overlap too. Mm-hmm. Like, especially the the sequences with Margot Robbie, Sharon Tate. Like, there's this whole like at least 25 minutes of the movie where she goes to a movie theater, doesn't get recognized, kind of like name drops herself, watches the movie. We see her feet in the middle of the screen as she's watching the movie. Like, <laughs> nothing. I mean, there's nothing's really happening there. And then she just leaves, and then that's Did you that. Have- did you appreciate how Quentin actually kept Sharon Tate in the movie? Great call. Yeah. I was very happy he did that. I was happy with that, too. I thought that was neat. And I don't know about you guys. Did you guys feel like there were some scenes that could have just been cut altogether? Like, we didn't need to have this whole back, like this whole I backstory? I feel like uh, one of the reasons it's so long is because it transitions. Every Everything is like transitioning by a car ride. 
Like instead yeah. of just cutting to the next mm-hmm. scene, we see like Brad Pitt driving for like 50 minutes mm-hmm. in this movie. Yeah. So there's like a lot of driving and a lot of listening to the radio and just like seamlessly like listening to radio shows okay. into different scenes and different like locations and stuff. It's, I feel like that's why it takes so long. There's yeah. like yeah. no cuts. It's I think the driving. first, the first like 40 minutes to an hour could have been condensed quite a bit. I felt. Yeah. A lot of this movie though, I feel like. I recommend seeing this on the big screen because I feel like it's kind of a movie that you have to get immersed in. A lot of it feels like nostalgia for Quentin Tarantino because there's at least 20, 25 different like radio commercials for different products. You know what I mean? And there's yeah. billboards yeah. Mm-hmm. and there's television commercials like drive in theaters. Yeah. There's a lot of just like media from 1969 that, that doesn't really advance the story. It's just kind of there to set the, the ambiance. I heard that um, Tarantino actually like went back and all the songs and ads, those are all things that like actually played on those days. Like it's very, very historically accurate, like to the point that like no one would be able to know except for like Tarantino and like historians basically. Like it's all super accurate. Have a dream of a huge luscious creamy root beer float. Well if you haven't tried one with mug root beer, start drooling now. Mug old fashioned root beer and the new twist top bottle. I mean it's a little like indulgent almost because like i said like no one would ever know but it's kind of a cool like tidbit i think okay i like that you use that word uh stevie a friend of the podcast william bibiani he gave us a terrible review and i i tried to read it it was pretty poorly written shame on you bibs but what are the things professional film critics should be able to you know string his thoughts together better than someone oh. on letterboxd but one of the points that he kept bringing up was <laughs> that it was self-indulgent like do you, and that was kind of like his biggest criticism that it was a circle jerk and i've seen that kind of thrown a lot do you do you find that at all stevie is that a criticism no. that you'd levy yeah, i don't either i don't get that i don't i think <sighs> what well, quentin writes all of his own movies and so it's a, it's a cliche, but it's true where it's like a, a well-written movie will like kind of show you a peek and decide like the writer's soul. Yeah. And I just think like it might be a tad self-indulgent for Quentin to make a movie about Hollywood because that's like his life and his passion. But I think it was entertaining and well-written enough where it's like I wasn't like rolling my eyes or anything. I felt no. like everything fit within the context of the story. Agreed. That's honestly what I was most afraid of is like how meta this movie was gonna be and the meta. parts that were actually about movie making about like rick on set and stuff were like actually enjoyable for like the first time a, for me about a movie about making movies or whatever and it's i don't know i feel like think like that's pretty hard to pull off and i guess i'm kind of wondering like what he, Q, qt would be self-indulgent about besides just the movie making part of this yeah. movie is there anything else like is that the only guy's complaint was the movie making? That it was, that like, it was super meta Hollywood? That it was meta Hollywood and that it was like Quentin Tarantino reflecting himself in the main Didn't characters. Didn't Bibiani call it offensive? Um, not really. I haven't seen any serious film critics levy that the, like, the violence against women is offensive. I mean, I don't think he likes it. He's kind of a... Uh, he likes to. I, I I think that he wishes that there was more female empowerment, but I, I don't think he said it was offensive, and I, I don't think any serious film critic could say that. You know what I mean? Like the the women who do get killed, they're murderers, and they were trying yeah. to kill Brad Pitt. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. There was a line. 
I really wish was omitted or was played by a different actress, but I really hated that part when she was like, you know what we should do, man? We should go kill the people that taught us how to kill. And she's like saying it really like over the top. I just hated that part. Man. Hey, you know what we should do, man? (laughs) So how does Tarantino feel about hippies, do you think? (laughs) (laughs) He likes how they don't wear shoes. Yeah, and there was also another scene from Spawn Ranch that I thought like only served like purpose to get to another point to like literally beat the shit out of a hippie, which I loved. But like <laughs> when he like goes inside the house and they like slow roll tension it where it's like this dude's probably in the back room murdered or something like that. Like I thought that could have been like cut entirely. Probably. Yeah. I th- Bruce Dern's th- character. Yeah, I thought he was gonna walk in on some gruesome shit there, but I mean the the like tone and the music all changes really hard and it's like whoa like what's going to happen and then it kind of just he's okay he's just blind. Yeah. Yeah, that was a point in the movie where I was like what is this movie about? <laughs> <laughs> Cuz he just turns over and he's like what? Why well, I can't see. He's like <laughs> who are you? He's blind. <laughs> yeah. What day is it? What is this movie about? <laughs> yeah, he's... and Jordan, you were up on Spawn Ranch, right? Yeah, a little bit. Were they actually, like, giving tours to tourists, like, around the canyon and stuff like that? Yeah, yeah. Like, when they moved in, like, Manson and his followers and stuff, like, that's what they were doing before that. So, they kind of, like, took that over, it sounds like. Um, But the stuff with George Spawn, he, like, was, like, pretty much blind and basically just was hanging out and having sex every once in a while and watching TV. That's, like, That's legitimate. (laughs) Yeah. And, like, the squeaky person is an actual an actual woman that was there and stuff too oh my god it's, it's so weird man it's so so weird <laughs> jordan's a what big a, cult guy jordan's a big time cult guy <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> always trained psychologist <laughs> <laughs> were there any other uh, memorable parts from this movie you guys remember want to talk about um we kind of touched it on really it really is chaotic and episodic yeah. the uh Everything with that little girl who's like super precocious and super serious about the art of acting, like that stuff was hilarious. Uh, And the Rick fucking Dalton scene from the trailer was was great too. I love that. Did your theater bust up laughing when he's describing the book and realizing it's about himself? And he just starts (laughs) weeping in front of that girl. (laughs) That sounds like a good novel. <laughs> and he goes, "You'll be there in about fifteen years." <laughs> and she's only eight. Be there about fifteen years. <laughs> oh man, it is pretty crazy though. There were parts that I wasn't sure if they were supposed to be like daydreams or like if they were actually flashbacks to stuff that happened. Like even the part that you talked about earlier, Pat, when he's on the roof and he's dreaming or he's kind of like reminiscing about beating up Bruce Lee. And then there's the part later where Rick has like a really good scene and like she comes up to him and like this is where i thought it was fake she comes up and she's like that was the best acting i've ever seen i was like is this real is he like sleeping and like dreaming about stuff or what but he actually does kind of come back and he's like a good actor at the end he's really good at the end like and that's like just another testament to leo's performance he's asked to do so much in this movie Mm -hmm. and he, he i hope he gets nominated for an oscar frankly i think it's that good there was one part that i could would probably consider meta because i was the only one in the theater laughing it was when timothy oliphant comes up to him and he was just like 
weren't you supposed to get the part in The Great Escape before Steve McQueen got it? <laughs> and he was like, nope, nope, never even, never even read for a line. And it shows him, like, they do the quick cut back of him, like, in the actual scenes. I lost it. And every time he, like, like brings up that he didn't get it, like, there's just, like, a random, like, bang on a piano, like, dong. <laughs> like, nope. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was me and four Georges, dong. <laughs> me and the, Wish Georges. Like, that, that was probably the only meta part because I was... The only one in the theater losing my mind. I felt weird, but I just had to laugh at that. Was so hysterically funny. What did you guys think about the end, where it pretty much wraps everything up nicely, where Brad Pitt and Leo can still be friends because now okay, Leo's jobs in with again. Polanski. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I felt like, and then it says "Once Upon a Time in Hollywood," so it's like just a fairy tale of what possibly could have went down of Cliff and. <laughs> And Leo were there. I don't know. It's just yeah. kind of funny how he wrapped it up. It's like, you're such a good friend, Brad Pitt. <laughs> it's like, I'm always trying or something. As he like gets wheeled off in the ambulance. <laughs> when he's like tripping on that acid-dipped cigarette. <laughs> that, all that shit was so funny. <laughs> it's nuts, too, because like, Leo literally just burned a person with a flamethrower. And then he just like gets invited in for drinks next door. And it's like 1 a.m. Like all this crazy shit happened. They're like, hey, come hang out for a little bit. Like, He's what? like not even checking on his wife. He's like, <laughs> yeah. was just attempted murder. And not to mention like, yeah, what is he's invited in for a drink after he's literally been like blackout drunk on margaritas all night. <laughs> like, yeah, I guess I'll have another drink. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I like the way it ended, and I I appreciate what he did too, Mikey. Especially, it's kind of like a fairy tale of like <laughs> this is what could have happened, but it's not. And it was almost kind of like wish fulfillment because those murders truly were horrific. And I guess kind of like the attitude towards hippies of like that time too of like, here's what we'd like to have seen happen, but we didn't. So that's that. But yeah. Yeah. Um. Where would you guys put this in, like, your Quentin Tarantino rankings, like, of his, like, whole movie library? Or, like, a certain tier? B tier? B tier? Probably, yeah. Same. yeah. Still good. Better yeah. than most people's movies, but... I like that it's funny. And, like, really subverted my expectations of what it was going to be about. I expected way more violence. Did you expect kind of, like, creepy cult stuff and way more murder, Mikey? Uh, yeah, because I kind of just kind of stayed away from looking up anything about what the movie was going to be about or the Manson stuff, mm-hmm. too. Yeah. And so I was expecting way more violence and actually, like, way more cursing. There's kind of pretty low key for a lot of the movie until, like, the last 20 minutes. Yeah, and especially by the trailers and kind of promo ads, too, I thought there was going to be way more Manson. Like, way, way more Charles Manson. We just get the, kind of that quick scene of saying, like, does Terry still live here? And that's about it. Yeah, that's like mm-hmm. it. Uh, anything else? I'm ready for yes or no. Yep. All right, let's uh, start with you, Pep. Uh, yeah, it's a yes. I actually have this as the best movie of the year. I kind of did the same thing and went through, you know, A-B tested it. And, yeah, I liked it more than us. And I think it's a little bit more polished than Midsummer, uh, which was my favorite of the year. Not QT's best. It can be a little boring at times, but it's also pretty funny, and it's like 
it's his like I said, it's his outlier. It's a time capsule of nineteen sixty nine, and I appreciate it for that. I don't know if I'll watch it again, but I wouldn't mind having it on in the background. And if it is, I'll probably sit down for two or three of those scenes that we talked about. So, yes, for me, uh, best movie of the year, and it was really, really awesome to sit in a sold out theater in July and watch a movie that was not owned by the Walt Disney Corporation. So that felt pretty good. Nice, Jordan. Yeah, it's a it's a yes for me as well. Honestly, I I got pretty bored during a few parts in there, um, but it does kind of all come together and wrap up pretty nicely. I'm interested that your guys' theaters were all full. Mine, I went uh, uh, seven seven thirty on Friday night, and it was maybe like two thirds full at most, um, which I thought was pretty weird. I thought there would be a bigger crowd, uh, but yeah, it's good. Um, and like Mikey said, it's really funny. I wouldn't say it's his best stuff, um, but it's it's a good one, and I'll definitely watch it again. I feel like, especially Tarantino movies, I'll pick up on new stuff every time I watch it. So they're uh, you can really come back to them, and I I look forward to doing that with this one when it comes out on video or illegal streaming. <laughs> illegal streaming. <laughs> uh, I'll give it a yes. Uh, like we said, it's really funny compared to his other movies not a lot of violence which i was surprisingly okay with i was expecting a lot more going into it um it looks awesome uh there's a lot of cool stuff like uh radio commercials and stuff like that from the 60s uh that's really cool to listen to and hear for like the first time i've ever listened to anything like that but it's a fairy tale uh it's like a what could have been and i think it's hilarious how it kind of flipped all expectations there in those last 15 minutes and was really not what I was expecting at all uh, in terms of what the movie was going to be about. It's really a movie about movie making, not so much about the Manson uh, murders. And it was pretty interesting to see like his take on that. It was really cool to see what he likes to think goes on behind the scenes of those kind of movies. Um, and the music's good and... Uh, it was just interesting. Uh, I would say it was one of his more interesting movies. I don't think it's his best, um, but I don't know if I'll watch it again anytime soon. It's really, really long, so I'll give it a yes, though. You should probably see it in theaters, though, because it looks awesome on a big screen. Uh, yeah, I'll give it a yes. Like you guys said, it's not his best work, but it's hysterical, and those last 30 minutes of this movie were some of the best stuff I've seen all year, and... I think it's probably my second favorite of the my second favorite movie of the year behind us. Uh, that's still top one to me. But yeah, definitely check this movie out. It is like you guys said, Quentin Tarantino's funniest movie by far. So, uh, Pat, what do we have coming down the line? Uh, do you have any more episodes coming out here shortly? We just released uh, Oh Brother Where Art Thou, so check that out with uh, Film Dylan from Cine Study Podcast. Um, now, what's after Oh Brother? Uh, Darjeeling Unlimited, or Limited, will be coming out soon, so check check him out. Unlimited. Unlimited Darjeeling. <laughs> Unlimited Darjeeling. <laughs> Two very different trains. Yeah. <laughs> I want to well, know. I want to know Leo's uh, recipe for making margaritas because I've never <laughs> been able to achieve that consistency. It was so perfect, <laughs> so smooth. You can pour it right out of the blender into your mouth. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. Uh, thanks for listening to our episode of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Uh, check out our episodes coming out shortly. 
And uh, that was spoilers. Take it away, Spoilers Man. Spoiler Man here. Our email is podcastspoilers at gmail.com. Twitter is at spoilers underscore pod. Our Instagram is podcast spoilers. It's lit. Josh Hensley from the Rutabaga wrote our theme song. Our spoilers hotline is 903-776-4507. That's 903-SPOIL-07. Please support this podcast by leaving us an iTunes review. To do this, one, search for movie spoilers. Two, click on our orange spoilers bowl logo and scroll all the way to the bottom. Three, leave us some stars and some words. I only want you to listen to this uh, commercial if you're under 25. It's about new Tanya Tanning Butter, the suntan product with no sunscreen added. Uh, and you know what that means. It means the only ingredients between you and the sun are natural coconut oil and cocoa butter, Hawaii's favorites. That and a little lava smoke thrown in there. for Tanya, Tanya Tanning Butter is guaranteed to give you really deep Hawaiian tan faster than you ever thought possible. It's so fast, in fact, that you might even burn a little bit, but we've all done that. Not enough to hurt, though. If you want the deepest, fastest Hawaiian tan on the beach, you better pick up on some Tanya tanning butter. Prices start at a low 85 cents. That's a small price to pay. Let's face it. A deeper, faster Hawaiian tan. That's what you get when you use Tanya. Morgan, 93 K-H-K.